It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, joined, as always, by Josh Dooley. And Josh, it is finally here. It is game week. Um, It has been, by the time the game rolls around, it will be five weeks since Ohio State last played a college football game. And so it feels like it has been forever. But Josh, before we get to that, you know, we're coming off the the holiday weekend, this being Monday, December 26th. So how, how have the holidays been? You know, how is it? How does how's it feel getting ready for another Ohio State football game after seemingly three years off? What's uh, what's going on in the world to Josh? Oh, mean Gene, first and foremost, good to hear from you. Uh, good to talk to you again. You're right. It seems like it's been forever. Uh, I'm out of practice. This is probably not going to be our best spot. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, hopefully it's on point and it's sharp. But yeah, it's been a wild sort of December slash holiday season. Good to actually get it behind us, I think, and sort of uh, move forward with normal life. I don't know if you're anything like me, but you know, the latter half of December, it's just, it's all a blur. You never know what day it is, what the weather's going to be like outside. It's just everything is topsy turvy. But now, Ohio State football has restored us to normalcy, uh, at least for another week or so. So I'm looking forward to this, Gene, and uh, good to be podding with you again, man. Yeah, for sure. I had a very fun. Um, Friday. I know there's been a lot of crazy weather across the country, but here in New York slash New Jersey, as I've been commuting back and forth, um, on Friday morning when I woke up, it was about 58 degrees outside. And by the time I was leaving for work later that night, it was about nine degrees outside. So that was a very fun, <laughs> very fun and exciting day uh, to just experience like about 50 degree 
drop in temperature. That was really exciting. But yes, the, the holidays are, are behind us now. That was a fun yet crazy time. Um, obviously, a lot in the world of Ohio State has gone on since their last you know football game. We talked last week about some of the recruiting stuff, but you know just in Ohio State world in general since the Michigan game, really, which is now over four weeks old. Um, you know, we, we've canceled the program, we've uncanceled the program, we've fired Ryan Day, we've unfired Ryan Day. Um, just a ton that's gone on between here and there, but we are finally ready to talk actual Ohio State football. There will be an actual game on the field this New Year's Eve on Saturday. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's an exciting time. You know, we've been kind of, like, like we said, it's been kind of, it's tough to kind of get back into it. Maybe it is because of the holiday season, maybe it is just everything going on, but it doesn't really feel like game week as we talk here on a Monday. Maybe it will as we get closer and closer, but it just seems like with everything going on, just in the world and in, in the Ohio State world specifically, um, it's just been, it's been a whirlwind really since that last game. And it's just been so long since we saw Ohio State play that I, I don't even remember who's on the team, Josh. Is there, it, Justin Fields still plays for Ohio State, right? Yeah, Trey Sermon, smiling at cameras. No, um, you're right, and it's funny that you bring that up. This sort of feels like the first game of the season with much, much larger implications, but it's like, hey, you know, here's what I think is going to happen. Here are the players that I think are going to contribute, but with, you know, the injuries that Ohio State dealt with, the delay, uh, or, you know, the sort of, pausing of their season there for a minute to then you know backing into the playoff and now all this time between games like that's what it feels like to me it's because that's the other thing with bowl prep too like maybe not Ohio State but in certain bowl games you see this guy or these guys sort of come out of nowhere and contribute and have these big games and I don't know if that's going to happen in this peach bowl but I feel like everything is back on the table. And so that's why it feels very much like week one to me, just from a, a prep standpoint, almost. Yeah. And, you know, a lot can happen in five weeks. Obviously, I doubt that Ohio State has, you know, drastically changed its game plan. But like you said, there could be guys that maybe step up that we haven't seen um, do that much earlier. Ohio State obviously was very banged up at points this year. We know that, you know, Trey Sermon is going to miss the rest of the year after he had foot surgery. But I think that a lot of the guys, um, you know, who were, were banged up at times this year are probably back up to at least close to full health at this point, having a, a bunch of weeks off now. So you'd imagine, you know, guys in the secondary, you know, guys like Mayan Williams, um, people that have just had some minor injuries that have been nagging all year long. Hopefully they've had a chance now to get healthy. Um, I do believe that, you know, most of Georgia's biggest players are healthy. There might be a little bit of, you know, injuries here and there, just like minor stuff. But I do think that both these teams will be more or less at full strength. Um, obviously, Ohio State also without Jack Smith and Jigba, but they haven't really had him all year. So it's not like they're, you know, they're, that's obviously a huge loss, but they're not missing him because they haven't had him all year. Um, but nonetheless, Josh, I'm I'm about ready to go for this game. I don't I don't know how you're feeling. You know, we'll see how we feel at the beginning of this podcast and at the end. I'm you know like like we kind of talked about. It's kind of hard. You know, I don't know if you've watched a ton of of these bowl games to this point. Obviously, this is a, a lot different because it's a playoff game and these teams are obviously very focused. But you know, I, I've been gambling here and there on some of these games, and it's really just a crapshoot because you don't know. You know, especially in the world of the transfer portal, you don't know which players are playing, which players are not, which teams are focused. You know, which teams actually care about these games, and so. For for a lot of these games, it's been mostly a crapshoot, but I'm excited to get back to really here football that matters. You know, the two playoff games as well as games like, you know, the Rose Bowl and things of that nature, teams I think actually care about and get up for, whereas a lot of these other games haven't really mattered. So this is the first real college football I feel like we've had in a while because everything else has kind of just been a, a flip of the coin, it feels like. Yeah, I have watched very little bowl season, I'll be honest with you. And, you know, normally I do, but the thing that 
the holiday season just kind of got the be- the best of me. But also, it's like in all these bowl games, you, d- you didn't even know who was playing. The the opt outs have become more and more prevalent, and the matchups just you know there's no rhyme or reason to them. So I haven't been nearly as dialed in as you have, but I would expect nothing less from uh, from a man who likes to put some money on the ponies, if you know what I'm saying. So I hope you've had a fruitful bowl season. But for you and I, like relationship wise, I'm more hopeful that Ohio State has a fruitful bowl season. Yeah, I I am as well. So let's get into um, Ohio State's bowl season here, the game that they will be playing this bowl season, obviously the Peach Bowl against Georgia. Uh, The Bulldogs are a team that really need no introduction. They are the defending national champs. Uh, They lost a ton of talent from that national title team, but it hasn't mattered even a little bit. You know, everyone thought that there's no way their defense could be as good as it was last year. And while it may not be as flashy as it was in 2021, it is every bit as good this year. Um, They rank second in all of FBS allowing just 12.8 points per game. The only team ahead of them was Illinois, surprisingly, at 12.3. Offensively, uh, once again, not super flashy, but incredibly efficient. Uh, 11th in the country in scoring offense at 39.2 points per game. 8th in the country in total offense with 492 yards per game. Actually, just one yard less than Ohio State averaged on the season. So, you know, while they don't have maybe the stars or the the high end, you know, the take the top off the, the defense sort of offensive style, they are very, very good at what they do. They're really just one of the most well-rounded college football teams you'll find, and I think that's the main reason why they've been so successful. Obviously, they have a ton of talent on this roster. They're one of the most talented, you know, by the 247 Sports Talent Composite, one of the most talented teams in the country. But they just do what they're asked to do so well, and they do it so consistently, and that's just what makes this team so good. You know, they had some sleepy games this year against teams like Missouri and Kentucky, but they absolutely dominated the top teams on their schedule. They really got up for the big games. You know, you look at their schedule, they defeated Oregon 49-3 to in Week 1, and Oregon went on to be a, you know, a pretty decent team. They defeated Tennessee and LSU both by double digits, and so this is a team that, that doesn't mess around or play with its food in, in any given sense. They're incredibly talented. They're supremely well-coached, and they just do all the little things well and in a college football world where that's sort of tough to do you know you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds mistakes are going to happen this is a team that makes very very few mistakes and because they're so talented when they do make a mistake here and there it doesn't usually cost them that big and so now you're looking at a team that's on the cusp of winning back-to-back national titles and it's not all that surprising given what they have here yeah I, I would say that they're just nasty top to bottom you know I think that they had much more star power last year. You know, they had like Nolan Smith, Quay Walker, guys like that on that defense. Um, kind of forgetting some of the offensive guys right now, George Pickens, who didn't even play a bunch last year, but they just don't have a weakness. And so that's why the thing that really jumps out to me about Georgia is like you don't see them fall behind. And I think that is probably one of the most difficult things for it. Any football team, any sports team really is like if you get behind early, fall behind in the beginning, like it's always the toughest thing to like mount this big comeback. And yes, I think they've trailed here or there maybe throughout the season. I I couldn't even guarantee that, but you just don't see it. You know, they don't fall down 17-3, 21-0 and have to claw back. It's they come out, they're well-prepared, they're ready. Like you said, they don't play with their food. I mean, you can see some some games where they've got maybe like a certain layer of like, or like an aura of malaise about them, right? Like they're sort of lazy. They're maybe not the sharpest, but it is not to such a detriment to where 
they fall behind and they get caught with their pants at their ankles. You know what I mean? So kudos to Kirby smart. Um, really, really good football coach. Uh, I wanted to like, not like him, but I, I, I like that he's about his business and I like the way he runs his program. I like that he is a, uh, an sec slayer. So good for them, but yeah, just a really, really good football team, very few weaknesses and they can do it on both sides. Uh, even this year, what they're averaging 36, 39 points a game. Uh, it's right in front of me, 39.2. So number 11 in the country, you don't think offense necessarily, <clears throat> excuse me. When you think of Georgia, you might think of Stetson Bennett because he's in the AARP and he's been at Georgia for a decade. You might think of Brock Bowers because he's just an absolute animal, but you don't think of this like explosive high flying offense and they're really not but like you said they execute they're efficient you know they get down to the red zone and they they punch it in they score touchdowns so always doing it kind of in a less sexy manner on that side then you've got the defense absolute world beaters you know they're led by Jalen Carter uh they got Ringo in the back end but again just 11 good players at each and every position and that's what makes them a really tough team to beat yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of fun matchups to dive into in this game between Ohio State and Georgia. It should be a fun matchup. Um, Georgia about a six-and-a-half-point favorite at, at last time I looked uh, via DraftKings, so about a touchdown spread between these two teams. Um, I do want to like, kind of dive into here in the nitty-gritty and kind of look at what these two teams bring to the table. You know, It's more of a focus on Georgia because I think most of you guys know what, what Ohio State is at this point, but we're going to look at some of the matchups here and, and talk about it in, in the scope of what Georgia has coming in. So. As Josh mentioned here, the Georgia offense is led by 25-year-old Stetson Bennett, who, funny enough, is the same age as Lamar Jackson, who I believe is in his now second or third year in the NFL. Um, so comes with an unparalleled level of experience at the quarterback position. I, I think that Stetson Bennett is a player who slept on a bit because of the style of offense that the Bulldogs run, but I do think he is a very good quarterback. He may not have as much raw talent as some of the other top quarterbacks in his, in his class, but he's very smart. He takes care of the football. He's a tremendous competitor. You know, you look at his stats this year, he finished fourth in the Heisman voting after posting 3,400 yards with 20 touchdowns and six picks. He's not a huge runner with 184 yards on the ground this season, but he did add seven rushing touchdowns this year, which is a big jump up considering he only had four over his previous three seasons at Georgia. So he's been more willing to use his legs this year than in prior years, and it's definitely helped out Georgia in some of their red zone offense. But this is a guy, you look at him over his career, 7,700 career passing yards, 59 touchdowns at Georgia. There's not much that's really going to phase this guy. He's basically seen it all at this point. And this is just a dude who goes out and wins football games. It's as simple as that. He does everything that is asked of him in this Georgia offense, and he does it very well. And so while he may not be, you know, the the, the sparkling quarterbacks of, you know, the, the Bryce Youngs and the C.J. Strouds of the world, he is a very, very good quarterback. And I think that he's, you know, a bit underrated because of the style of offense Georgia runs. But... You know, you think of Georgia, you think of rushing offense. Um, this season, it was, you know, their their rushing attack was good, but I wouldn't say it was elite by Georgia's standards. Um, they did rank 17th in the country with 207 yards per game, but they didn't really have that, you know, that star NFL caliber running back. They had three different backs who totaled over 500 yards on the season, led by a senior Kenny McIntosh, uh, six foot one, 210-pound back, led the room with over 700 yards and a team-high 10 rushing touchdowns. Uh, Dejon Edwards right behind him with 683 
three yards and seven scores. And then third on the list, Kendall Milton with 531 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, Milton, despite having the, the fewest yards of the three, was actually the most efficient. He averaged 7.3 yards per carry compared to 5.2 for McIntosh and 5.4 for Edwards. All three of those guys will likely see action against Ohio State, but yeah, I mean their their rushing attack was good. Um, I I don't I wouldn't say it's you know the typical you know they they don't have Dalvin Cook back there rushing for you know 200 yards a game, but it was it was very solid this year. It just wasn't maybe as elite as has been in years past, but definitely something that you have to game plan for if you're Ohio State. Uh, through the air, Georgia hasn't exactly been a team known for its wide receivers, but you know Lad McConkey has really risen to the occasion this season. 675 yards receiving with five touchdowns to go along with 120 yards rushing and another two scores. Um, however, despite McConkey's production, he still plays second fiddle to tight end Brock Bowers. Uh, far and away the best player at his position in the country. Bowers put up 726 yards, sorry, receiving on 52 catches and six scores, all of which are team highs. Uh, the six foot four, 230 pound tight end could present a big matchup problem for Ohio State. You know, you look at a similar player. Um, the Buckeyes did a great job against Michael Mayer in the opener, probably the only real tight end threat they faced all year. But I think Bowers is a far better player than Mayer is. So be interesting to see how Ohio State looks to match up on him. Um, outside of Bowers and McConkie, Georgia really spreads the ball around a lot. You know, there's a couple other guys on this team. Darnell Washington comes to mind. Um, but the wide receiver room, they kind of really spread it out other than those two guys. Those are your main two focuses in the passing game. And then as you to round out the offense here, as you would imagine, um, on an offense built the way it is, this offensive line um, is superb. They've allowed just seven sacks all season, good for second best in the country behind only Oregon. They rank in the top 20 of nearly all the offensive line off, uh, advanced metrics. And what's even more impressive is that um, four of the five stars up front are sophomores. So they have these young guys playing really, really well. Um, this isn't really a, a high-flying air raid offense. Georgia isn't looking to take the top off the back end of the defense here. They just, you know, they put together a very good game plan. They're adept at targeting other teams' weaknesses. Um, so, you know, you look at this game here, you know, Ohio State's been great at stopping the run. So I would expect, you know, Kirby Smart to come out here, target those Buckeye corners in the short passing game. And then, you know, once you force those guys to play a bit close to the line, maybe play a bit of press and you make those linebackers play up or, or play the passing lanes, maybe it opens some stuff up in the running game. Maybe it opens up a deep shot here and there. So I do think Ohio State's defense is going to have his hands full. You don't really look at Georgia as a, as a real offensive juggernaut, but they execute what they want to do extremely well. And when they are at the top of their game, it is really tough to stop. Yeah, it really is. And I, for me, it's about size and, and execution. Size in it starts with Darnell Washington, but they've also got um, Bowers, like you said, all of the running backs, you know, to a certain extent, thick guys, durable guys. They can take a bit of a beating, even though they rotate out and stuff like that. So just big and tough. And then they execute very well. Um, and, and that starts with quarterback Stetson Bennett. Only six interceptions this year. Not the biggest guy, not the biggest arm. But pretty darn accurate, you know, completed 68% of his passes. And I, I don't want this to be like a knock on the guy. He is, he's a scrappy game manager, but like on the high end, right? He can, he can go out there and win games. And he has won Georgia some games when maybe the running attack wasn't what it was in other weeks or things like that. And, um, you know, he was considered for some sort of Heisman candidacy stuff there at the end. He was one of the finalists. He's just he's a good football player. And I don't know if that comes with experience. He certainly worked his way up. You know, he was what he joined the team as a walk on, went Juco and came back. Right. So 
Like he was, he has been respected around this program, got his shot and has done nothing to sort of give his spot back. Right. He took it from JT Daniels. JT Daniels is now on his ninth school. Uh, I think he's at rice Aroni doing some stuff down there. So kudos to him, but Stetson Bennett took his job, never gave it back. And he's just, he's performed very, very well throughout the year. And you're right. Not the biggest runner or, or biggest running threat, but he does enough. I can't think of the game. It was this year. He had a really long run, like 50, 60 yards. So he's got some wheels. He can break, contain, get outside and make some plays happen. And his playmakers, Help him out a lot. Uh, Milton, Edwards, McIntosh, all capable runners, all average at least 5.2 yards per carry. They combine for, what, like 25 rushing touchdowns between just those three guys. Then you've got McIntosh, a really good receiver out of the backfield. 450 yards receiving on 37 catches. Very much a dual threat. When you put all of his numbers together, uh, you're looking at like 1,200 total yards from a one of one of three. Those are good numbers. He was highly efficient with all of his touches. And if it's not working for him, it's working for Edwards. It's working for Milton. So they can hit you from a bunch of different angles. Um, not really worried about injuries. Everyone's injured, worried about injuries, I should say. But they've just got they've got a bunch of dogs back there, no pun intended, uh, who can run the football behind that big offensive line. And – their pass catchers, you know, their their skill guys are. It's really unlike anything else Ohio State has seen, will see. It's a very unique football team, right? Darnell Washington is 6'7, 270. He is a literal power forward out there, and he's their tight end, too, right? They've got Bowers, who's. I would say he's more of like an H back, but a very good pass catching H back, like. Kyle Juszczyk and and George Kittle combined or something. You know, if you want to look at a team that still has that, uses those two positions, <clears throat> he encompasses all of that. Really good hands. Maybe not the fastest guy in the world, but like deceptively quick. Gets in and out of his breaks. He can fool even DBs. You know, at that tight end position, he's not just some big kind of hulking lumberer down the field. He knows what he's doing. McConkey is that, prototypical kind of slot guy. He works a lot out of the slot. He can make some plays down the field, but McConkey and Bowers and Washington, I guess they're all safety nets. If that makes sense, you know, like Georgia doesn't throw the ball downfield a ton because they don't necessarily have to, like they've got good experienced guys who can get open quickly, um, kind of play off of each other. They all have played with each other for a number of years now. So like, they're all in cohesion, right? They're, they're not messing up routes and running into each other or anything like that. They've got their sort of parts on the of the field on any given play, and they go out and they get it done. So I think McConkey is as strange as this sounds to say. He might be the one who scares me the most just because, like, he finds a way when there's not a way. You know what I mean? Like, you could probably double – Brock Bowers and limit his effectiveness to a certain extent. And with McConkey, like you can do the same thing. He's just, he's so squirrely and like, I don't know. He's, he's got the tricks in the bag or something. So I really like McConkey. If he plays, I assume that he will, 
but he had that lower leg injury against LSU. Uh, certainly wouldn't hurt my feelings if he's out. But the other guys on the outside, yeah, not not really too much to write home about. They've got Rosemi Jack Saint, though, or Rosemi Jack Saint. He was their like leading, air quotes, outside receiver. 27 catches this year, 300 yards. Now he is big. He's like 6'2", 195. Kind of the theme of the team, right? It, they, they've got these certain prototypes, the big, bulky tight ends that can go and just kind of beat people up. Got a, a shifty route runner like McConkey, 100 running backs. Jack Saint is kind of like a, a supplementary piece. Whereas if you put him on a bunch of other teams, probably a really, really good wide receiver. I think he was pretty highly recruited too. So just unique weapons, but very dangerous weapons. And then, yeah, that offensive line, they, they don't give up sacks, period. Like it, it kind of starts there. And it was funny. I was reading up on a couple of them. Broderick Jones, who's their left tackle. You're right. He is a sophomore. He's a redshirt sophomore, like most of this line, 24 years old. So I'm not sure how exactly that that transpired and you know if there's some really I'm not making fun of the guy but a 24 year old sophomore at left tackle 30 year old quarterback you know like at, at a certain point well let's ask if George is doing the right things all right are they playing everything above board or are they kind of doctoring some birth certificates but just a really good team and I was again going through the depth chart. He hasn't played. I don't think he will play. But like, you remember Eric Gilbert, number one tight end or like player in the universe, uh, flipped around a bunch of schools. Can't even see the field for them. I know he's been hurt and had some, a bunch of things going on. But like, it's funny. You think it, this team, you look at some of the guys and you're like, yeah, good player, good player, good player. And then you've got a guy like Eric Gilbert who, again, was like the number one freakish recruit in the universe when he was coming out of high school and he, he doesn't even see the field. They don't need him. So just a really unique, interesting, but effective offense, which I think will certainly give Ohio state some trouble, at least, you know, here and there. Yeah. And so you look at like the matchup here, Ohio state's defense versus this Georgia offense. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me in this game, and it's kind of, it's not a Georgia specific one, but it's one that's kind of plagued Ohio state in a lot of these big games is that their defensive line has to show up in this game. You know, you look back at a number of these big matchups, Ohio State playing against these, you know, these higher-ranked teams, and in almost all of the games, it's it's the exact same thing on defense, the exact same problems, where their their defensive line is just a no-show. You know, they're not getting a ton of pressure. They're allowing the opposing quarterback to have time to throw and, and make his reads, and if you do that with a guy like Stetson Bennett with his experience— He's going to torture you. You know, he's going to find the open man. He's going to, he's very good at reading defenses. He's going to find the opening in the defense and he's going to beat you up. And so if you can't get pressure on him, you can't force him to move around a bit in the pocket, force him to maybe make a bad throw here and there, he's going to beat you. And so if you can't get that pressure, that's going to be a huge issue. So I'm looking at guys like, you know, JT Tumalo out, Jack Sawyer, um, Zach Harrison, maybe even a, a finally fully healthy Mike Hall. Um, those guys need to have a big game in this one in order to slow down this Georgia defense. Because if you're just letting him dink and dunk you all over the field, he's going to do that to you all game. He's not going to, you know, this isn't a Georgia team that's going to kind of take their foot off the gas and, and stop doing what's working. If that's working for them, they're just going to keep doing it. And so I think Ohio State's defensive line is going to have to have a good game in this one. I know Georgia's offensive line is very good, but I'd like to see at least something from this Ohio State defensive line, which we haven't really seen much in big games lately. Um, and then on the back end, you know, I'm kind of interested to see how Ohio State handles a guy like Brock Bowers. You know, like I said earlier in the season, Ohio State did a really good job on a guy like uh, Michael Ma- uh, 
Yeah, Mayer. Um, and so I'm wondering if they, you know, maybe they take a guy like Ronnie Hickman or Lathan Ransom and put him in, in, in coverage against a guy like Bowers. Maybe they do the same for a guy like McConkey. Maybe he's, you know, maybe we see, you know, a more, a more freshman year version of Denzel Burke in this game after getting some time to get healthy. I'm hoping that all of the corners have had some time to, you know, really get healthy. Guys like Cam Brown have been really banged up, you know, Jordan Hancock, JK Johnson, all those guys, um, they're going to need guys to step up in this game because they cannot afford to have the corners play at really the level they've played all year. Hopefully they've had this time to kind of reflect on what went wrong this season in the in the cornerback room and in the secondary in general. And hopefully they find to maybe at least correct some of those issues and hopefully that'll lead to a better performance. But those are really the two things that, that stand out to me. How Ohio State, you know, is able to get pressure up front, how their defensive line looks, and then what their plan is for stopping, you know, the tight ends in this game because it isn't really a, a, a thing that they've had to defend against much. Um, and so I'm interested to see how they look to to attack that it's funny that you kind of bring up up front and in the middle but not outside and not deep which has been Ohio State's Achilles heel all year and look Georgia can expose that so I don't think that you like ignored that part unintentionally um it's just I think they have more issues or Ohio State has more challenges along that defensive line and in the middle of the field so I'm glad you brought those points up. You know, from a defensive line perspective for Ohio State, it's not that they haven't done this already, but I think that they just need to say, look, guys, we're letting you loose. You have to play smart. You have to, you know, play contain when you're asked to. But I don't want any of this, like, trying to – how do I want to phrase this? I don't need like gonna, I don't need JT Tumalo out dropping into coverage. Like it's cute and exactly. all, but just let him go after the quarterback. I don't need to see it. Yeah, like you want to trick Stetson Bennett if he falls for something, but look, he's been there a hundred years. He's playing against the best defenses. Like you're not going to pull a bunch over on him, right? So yeah, like you said, I, I I don't need these these sneaky plays where they fake blitz and drop back or something like that. Let JT Tumalo. Get after the quarterback. Let Mike Hall, presumably healthy, get after the quarterback. And you start to sort of sort out the rest. Um, I do think that a lot is going to be on the shoulders of those guys up front because I don't know that they're going to receive a bunch of help. You know, when you think about Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, Lad McConkey, I I believe that Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, maybe Cody Simon, whomever – Like They're going to have to be involved when it comes to pass coverage. They're going to have to you know, play very good assignment football. So as much as I'd like to see it in other games, I I don't think that we see a lot of blitzing from Ohio State. Jim Knowles, I'm sure, will pick and choose his spots, and we've been asking for it, right? So it's it's sort of odd to not ask for it now, but Georgia is just so dangerous in the middle of the field, short field situations um, with those guys underneath and in seam routes and stuff like that, too. Um, I, I think that your, your Tommies and your Steel Chambers, like they're going to be asked to patrol the defense and, and keep an eye on Bowers or Washington. Um, so it's going to be one-on-one up front. Maybe you'll get some help from this guy or that guy, but JT Tumalau is going to have to win some one-on-one matchups against Broderick Jones. Uh, Mike Hall is going to have to show what he showed off earlier in the year, and hopefully he can, right? We didn't know how injured he was. Seems like he was pretty banged up. Seems to be trending in the right direction now. To get 
good Mike Hall Jr. back would be just a, a godsend for this Ohio State football team because he can create that pressure from the interior. Zach Harrison has been up and down. If we can get, again, good game Zach, then I think that Ohio State can create some pressure and maybe get to Stetson Bennett a little bit. But I think it's going to have to be in a one-on-one scenario. And, yeah, matchups in the middle of the field and in kind of down the middle are going to be very, very interesting. And I actually wanted to bring that up and ask you about a, a certain player. When you think about Darnell Washington, you know, no one can physically match up with him. Uh, Brock Bowers, maybe, you know, height weight wise. Yes, but very good tight end, unique matchup in his own. Lad McConkey, classic slot guy. When it comes to McConkey, you know, who do you think the best option is as a real slot corner, you know, Tanner McAllister or not? And then when it comes to the tight ends, do you think that this is a game? And I'm, I'm not like going for takes, uh, you know, here or anything like that. What do you think of Sonny Styles in this game? I know he's a freshman. I know he's probably too young to be out there, but Steel Chambers is six foot on a good day, right? Tommy Eichenberg has grown leaps and bounds. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, you know, just played lights out this year. Maybe he's sort of a, a Bauer shadow. But when I think about big and athletic and a guy that we've at least seen on the field, I mean, Sonny Styles is 6'4", 230. Ohio State doesn't have another guy like that. Even Cody Simon, I don't think I want to see him in coverage. So, you know, Gene, is that a guy that you think we could see in this game with a month to prepare? Or is that just wishful thinking? Because I'm thinking, how can Ohio State try to slow down these big behemoths uh, coming off each side of the line for Georgia? Yeah, well, what what really, you know, this is probably a conversation for another day, but what really annoys me about, you know, a guy like Sonny Styles is that think of how many, you know, blowout games Ohio State has played in this year. And I think Sonny Styles has had like 15 or less defensive snaps. And it's like yeah. you have this five-star athlete who came in here, probably would start from day one at, at pretty much every school other than like the top five in the country. Why aren't you playing this guy in blowouts? So then when you get to a game like this where you'd have a guy that would seemingly be perfect for this style of offense you're playing against, that he'd be more ready to go. Like why did you just kind of waste the entire year having your starters in deep into the fourth quarter in blowouts rather than having guys like, you know, Kai Stokes, Sonny Styles, CJ Hicks even. Why aren't these guys playing more defensive snaps that they're ready for this style of game later in the year? You knew going into the season that there was a good chance that if you made the playoffs, you'd probably meet up with Georgia eventually. And so to not, you know, have these guys, these are potentially important players for you later in the year, not get significant snaps, at least in, you know, the third and fourth quarter of games, even if you're only up a couple of scores, get these guys some reps. I think it would have made a lot of sense. You know, I've heard some rumblings since, you know, in these last couple of weeks that maybe a guy like Sonny Styles does see some increased playtime in this game. But I just, you know, I think he's going to be a very good player in the future. I just don't think that throwing him into the fire against maybe the best tight end in the country in a playoff game is the best time for him to see his first real college football reps. Um, Maybe he comes in and excels. I would love to see it. You know, I'd love to see more of Sonny Styles and CJ Hicks. Obviously, you know, Hicks this season blocked by Steel Chambers and Tommy Eckenberg, who both had tremendous years. But these are guys that are going to play key snaps for you, even if it isn't this year, in years to come. And so to not get those guys more reps during the regular season doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, but yeah, I would like to see something like that. I don't think you're going to see 
know, you usually when you think of guys matching up with tight ends, it's usually the linebackers. Um, I don't think you'll really see any of that from Tommy Eichenberg. They know that that isn't his strength. He's more of a, a run-stopping linebacker. I don't think they're going to force him into pass coverage. That really isn't his niche. Um, you could see more of that from a guy like Steel Chambers, but like you said, you know, these are guys that are both, you know, oversized for a guy like him. So they could maybe try that early on. And if he's just getting getting beat because he's simply not big enough, then maybe go with you know a guy like Ronnie Hickman or Tanner McAllister or Lathan Ransom. I think that all three of the safeties have some pretty decent coverage skills that go along with them. So I think you'll see a lot of them in the, in the tight end department, but. You know, it's funny because it kind of then harkens back to you said how, you know, I wasn't really worried about the deep ball. You know, that, that's that been Ohio State's main detriment on defense, I'd say, this year, at least in the secondary. Um, but I wouldn't put it past Georgia. You know, I talked about earlier how they, they kind of go at teams' weaknesses. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see Kirby Smart maybe, you know, put out some guys that we haven't seen a ton this year from Georgia. Maybe some quicker, you know, speedier guys take the top off the defense sort of wide receivers rather than these, you know, big body targets. And maybe they try to run some deep stuff against Ohio State because they're still so focused on slowing down the tight ends in the short passing game. You know Ohio State's corners have not been good in one-on-one coverage this year at all. So I wouldn't be surprised for Georgia to maybe take some deep shots early in this game knowing that Ohio State hasn't been able to cover it this year. You know, why not? Um, until they prove that they could stop it. Why hamstring yourself, you know, sticking to your game plan when you know that this other thing is going to work? You saw what, what Michigan did. Michigan wasn't a, a deep ball passing offense either, but they saw it was Ohio State's big weakness and they attacked it to great success. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see a similar thing from Georgia. But yeah, as far as the tight ends go, I'd expect to see the safeties pretty heavily involved there. Maybe a little bit of steel chambers. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I would love to see a guy like Sonny Styles. It seems like it makes a lot of sense. He is sort of, you know, an in-between linebacker safety sort of body, even at his young age. Um, but he is a guy that seemingly would be perfectly built for this style of matchup. I don't know if this Ohio State coaching staff has the, you know, the the wherewithal to maybe do that. I don't think that you know, granted, like what I said, he didn't have a ton of reps this year. I don't know if they're willing to do that, but you know, if they've seen in practice that he could do it, I don't think it would hurt to give it a shot because you know this Ohio State defense on the back end hasn't been good. Maybe throwing in a fresh face would help there. But yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting thing to look at. I'll be very excited if we see more of Sonny Styles in this game, but I, I have a hard time believing they'd do that after his very limited reps in the regular season. And that's really fair. That's very fair. I, I didn't really expect you to say anything else. I'm just pie in the sky i'm trying to think of how do you match up with monsters right you go and you find other monsters and ohio state has their fair share of them i just you know i don't know if it's at that linebacker eraser safety sort of position you know so sunny styles is sort of a catch-all and so that's why his name came to mind you know the, the next best matchup honestly is probably jt to him allow and, I, and I'm being dead serious. You know, you talk about a really good basketball player in high school. I don't, I don't know if I, they put out a video or just a clip the other day. I saw him like training um, sort of in a gym and stuff like that. He's just he's another freak athlete, but just way too important. And we even said we don't want to see him dropping back. But just physical matchup wise, he's honestly like probably one of the go to's. But, yeah, it's it, it's tricky because, like I said, uh, Georgia has a size factor that is, you know, tough to overcome and, and or ignore. But then they've also got a guy like McConkie, who I think is just super shifty. And that's why I brought up a guy like Tanner McAllister. I don't know what the answer to McConkie is. He's not a big time outside guy. Um, and he, he look, he's not five, eight, five, nine either. You know, he's not tiny in the slot he can move around he's just he he's a bit of a killer underneath and 
even with some of those longer developing routes, if Stetson Bennett's able to buy time. So just a lot to sort of digest and sort of like factor for Ohio State. But look, the other thing that we only briefly touched on it, but I do remember earlier in the season, right? Georgia for a while was not putting it on Kent Kent State. Um, Only put 26 on Missouri, 16 against Kentucky. I know that there were, you know, factors in all of those games, especially the early season ones. It's like, yeah, how dialed in are they? But as good as Georgia is on offense, like they're not bulletproof, right? They don't turn the ball over a ton, but they're not always effective. Like we've seen teams stop them. So somewhere in there, there are answers for Ohio State. It's, you know, can they figure it out, put it all together, and more importantly, do it for four quarters um, against both run and pass. So just a lot to factor in, but it'll definitely be an interesting matchup. And I, like you, will probably be watching more of the one-on-ones than I will probably anything else. Yeah, and just to get back to my my pre- previous point about Sonny Styles, he ha- he's credited here with 55 total defensive snaps this year, but in the last five weeks of the regular season, he played six total, um, four of those coming against Indiana in a blowout, so only getting four snaps there, zero cents, um, and two of them coming against Michigan. He only played on special teams against Penn State, Northwestern, and Maryland. Um, so pretty pretty rusty coming off the last couple of weeks of the year, I would say, considering he played six total defensive snaps over the last five weeks of the regular season and then hasn't played in five weeks since. So maybe he showed out in practice. Yeah, I mean, maybe absolutely. he's shown enough. It's, for me, it's one of those things like you got to try something, right? Like this means everything. Uh, this is your season. So even if it's in a package or, you know, for half of a quarter to test it out, I think Ohio State has to try something different that we have not seen. Um, I just, I, I don't know what that is. Jim Knowles is a much smarter individual and he sure as hell is a, a more accomplished, better football coach than I would ever dream of being. But I don't think they can just go with sort of the status quo. They've got to mix it up and, and throw some interesting looks at Georgia to maybe throw this really experienced offense sort of off tilt. Yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, you look at this team and you look at Michigan, I mean, this is Georgia is basically just a better version of what Michigan does on offense. I mean, maybe not as good rushing the ball, but I mean, without Blake Horum, I think these are two pretty comparable offenses. Maybe Georgia, I mean, obviously Georgia with better tight end play. Some of you replace the running backs with the tight end play, but otherwise, very similar stuff. You know, a quarterback that isn't the most elite in the world, but is good at, you know, spreading the ball around and, and not making mistakes. You know, a wide receiver group that doesn't exactly scare you, but still gets open and, and does their job well. It's a pretty similar, you know, style offensively to what, you know, Michigan does. And you saw what Michigan did to Ohio State's defense. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think you can't just go out and, you know, do the same things you did in your last game because you'll get the same result. I think you do have to switch it up. And so maybe that results in different players. Maybe that results in a slightly different scheme. But we'll have to see. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Um, but I did want to move over now to the the Georgia defense, which is really the the meat and potatoes of what this team is. You know, the offense is very well put together as we've discussed here, but this defense is the real reason why Georgia is in the position to win. You know, potential back-to-back national titles here. Like I said earlier, you know, this is a team that had five defensive players get drafted in the first round of last year's NFL draft, eight defensive players overall in that draft. Seemed nearly impossible for them to lose that much talent and not take a step back, but that's exactly what happened. You know, this is a unit that is led by likely first overall pick in the 2023 NFL draft in defensive tackle Jalen Carter. Um, his stats don't immediately jump off the page. He is a you know still a defensive tackle at the end of the day. He's got the three sacks, seven tackles for loss, and 29 total tackles. But he is a six foot three, 310 pound uh, rusher up the middle here that you do have to account for. He is a game wrecker of our players still from that defensive tackle spot. And he has to be game planned for. He'll likely draw a double team. Georgia mostly only rushes four anyway. So you could kind of afford to to double him. And that maybe is the reason why his stats aren't as as good as you might expect from a likely first overall pick. But the rest of the defensive line, um, Georgia runs a, basically a base 3-4, so they don't really do a ton along that defensive line outside of Carter, but that's because a lot of the counting stats come from that linebacker spot, and they're very, very good at what they do there. Um, you look at Damon Dumas-Johnson, really the leader of this linebacker group, ties for the team lead with 64 tackles, as well as a team high, eight tackles for loss and three sacks. He's followed up closely by Smile Mondin Jr., uh, who ties Dumas Johnson with 64 total tackles to add to six and a half tackles for loss and a pick. Um, those are really the two big names to watch out for in the middle level of this defense since this team, you know, like I said, since it's a base 3-4, the linebackers are very essential for what they want to do. Um, most of the sacks and tackles for loss come from those linebackers. Um, they, they rotate a couple other guys in and out besides Dumas Johnson and Mondin Jr., but those are really the two um, stars at the middle level of that D. And also the defensive backs are pretty involved in, in the you know in the rush as well. So speaking of those defensive backs, that group is is very elite. You know you don't really hear about Georgia's defensive backs all that much, but this is a very very strong group packed with talent from top to bottom. You know, from the safeties, Malachi Starks and Christopher Smith, uh, to Javon Bullard at the star position, to corners, Keely Ringo and Kamari Lassiter. Um, just a really, really strong group. So you look at, you know, Starks and Smith, tremendous duo at safety. Starks is third on the team with 63 total tackles to go along with two picks and a team-high seven pass breakups. Uh, Smith, aside him, has 50 total tackles with a sack and a team-high three picks, as well as five pass breakups. Um, Bullard at the star position, which is similar to what Ohio State used to run with the bullet, kind of that linebacker safety hybrid. Um, he's been all over the field for them. 42 total tackles, six tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, and a pair of pass breakups. He's been a very, very good player all over the field for them. And then finally, Ringo and Lasseter at the two you know, true cornerback spots. Ringo, one of the top NFL prospects at cornerback, six pass breakups and a pair of picks on the season. Lasseter, while just a sophomore, has had a really great year for them, four tackles for loss and four pass breakups. So much like the offense, there's really just no holes here on this Georgia defense, which is part of what makes them so good. Um, the 3-4 the makes them pretty hard to run on, and with the secondary being as, as talented and well-coached as they are, the passing isn't much easier either. You know, we've talked about a little bit earlier, Ohio State has had trouble against the better teams they've played, especially... You know, their offense has struggled against the better defenses on the schedule, um, partly because of their own doing, but also just because of the defenses against them. I'm expecting some of the, the similar struggles here, even if their head coach, you know, does actually try to run plays that would that would result in points this time around. Um, I do think this is still a very tough team, even if Ohio State was to play at their best and, you know, run the good plays on offense. I think it's still going to be, you know, tough sledding against probably the best defense in the country for you know, two years running now. That's the frustrating part, right? Not Ohio State's play calling. I mean, the fact that Georgia can do this again. Um, you know, you're right. They lost 
what, I think you said five first rounders or, or five starters, something like that. And I just think about some of the players like they had Lewis Sane was the safety. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of some of those other guys now. Give me a second. Nicobe Dean. Nicobe yeah, Dean was really good for them last year. I mean, Trayvon Walker was the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Um, six sacks, 33 tackles for them last year. He was just kind of based or drafted based off of potential. Those guys are gone and they're probably just as good, if not better. Now, the one thing, the one area in which they're sort of lacking this year is pass rush and sack totals. I think they finished with 26 tackles or 26 sacks. I'm sorry, so far during the year. So that number's down. I mean, that's going to happen when you lose a guy like Trayvon Walker and some of the others. But that tells you that it's doable, right? Like you can protect C.J. Stroud. They still get a lot of pressure. Uh, Sacks don't necessarily tell the entire story. But 26 is not a big number. And Jalen Carter is far and away the most dangerous guy. He doesn't have necessarily the horses around him up front to get to the quarterback specifically. Um, But other than that, still a very, very good Georgia defense, you know, smile Munden and Dumas Johnson, 64 tackles a piece. They get it done. Right. Um, Ringo is what top one, two, three corners in the country going into the draft next year. You know what you're going to get from him um, and when you, when you face him, right? It's only two interceptions this year, six total passes defended, but teams don't like to throw his way for a reason. He's a really, really good cornerback. And so is Lassiter opposite him, just doesn't have the interceptions to speak of, but that's a good duo. I prefer the safeties, though, like sort of as a unit because Starks and Smith, they make plays. Combined for five interceptions, combined for 12 passes defended, um, threw in a couple tackles for loss. That was specifically Chris Smith. Um, they're sort of like this amoebic defense. Like, yeah, it's 3-4-ish, but they've got linebackers who will blitz even if they're again if they're not getting home all the time they'll bring that star corner or that star defensive back up um they'll just do a lot of different things when they need to the thing is they don't always need to because they're just they're fundamentally sound their their schemes are on point like they just they know what to do as a unit as a team and so when I look at this defense, there aren't like a lot of stats really that jump out to me. And so that's why like it's less sexy or exciting than the defense they had last year. But the totality of the unit is just as good, if not better. And yeah, I mean, I forgot about Jalen Carter. If you look at his raw numbers, okay, 29 tackles, three sacks. But if you watch the games, uh, and I kind of brought this up with, Bozzy Smith, when we talked about Michigan, different players, um, but similar in the fact that they just wreck the game. You know, they make life difficult, not for one person, but for two or three uh, on every single play. You know, they're double teamed, they're triple teamed, and sometimes that doesn't even work. And so, you know, by doing that, they open the field up and they open the game up for the rest of their guys. So 
Jalen Carter, yeah, he's probably going to be a top five draft pick despite the the Todd McShay sabotage. I don't know if you saw his sort of clip or his interview about Jalen Carter. Not going to get into that because it's not my place. But one of, if not the most talented players going into the 2023 NFL draft, I think Ringo's right behind him. Um, I think corners are sort of tougher to kind of study or really know about. You know, I'm not a, an NFL guy. Maybe he's got some flaws. I haven't really seen him. So you've got a supreme guy up front, at least one in the back, and then nine other studs just sort of running around, causing chaos, creating havoc. So it, it's going to be a very difficult challenge. But again, like that Michigan game, at least for a half, I think Ohio State has the dogs to move it on the Bulldogs. I probably should have phrased that a little bit different. If they can protect C.J. Stroud and limit the sacks, of which Georgia has 26, I just I believe in C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, and company to an extent. If you give them time, I think that C.J. Stroud can pick just about any team apart with his guys. So, there's absolutely a chance Ohio State puts up some points and we'll, you know, get into predictions and stuff like that, but they have to protect CJ Stroud. And you know, because of those 26 sacks on the other side, that's why I say it's feasible that he is well protected and he gets those opportunities, but if Georgia changes it up or they're just they're getting home a lot, I don't think you can mess with the secondary, the guys they have on the back end, like it's got to be quick. It's got to be, you know, open plays because if it's, if plays downfield are contested or you give them an opportunity to create a turnover, they are going to take advantage of that. So Ohio State has to play a clean game, both in protection and sort of taking care of the ball. And if they do that, I 1000% believe that they can put up points on Georgia. Yeah, interestingly enough, too, uh, Jalen Carter also won fewer felony charges than Mozzie Smith, so that's that's worth noting. Um, but <laughs> other but other than that, um, yeah, my my thing here, much like how we talk about on on uh, you know Ohio State's defense versus Georgia's offense, kind of a, a broader scope of things for Ohio State against these good teams, even more so true for their offense against good teams. You look at some of their their latest games against you know these highly ranked opponents. They scored 24 points against Alabama in 2020, 28 against Oregon, 27 against Michigan last year, 23 against Michigan this year, even only 21 against Notre Dame this year. Ohio State just doesn't or hasn't been lately putting up points against the better teams on their schedule, and I don't think it's it's a talent problem. I think it comes back to the game plan problem. Probably my biggest issue with Ryan Day as a head coach is just of how scared he offensively game plans for against these better defenses. Ohio State, like you said, has the horses to put up points on these teams. You know, you look at C.J. Stroud, Mayan Williams, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., Mecca Buka, all of these stars they have on offense, and then when they get into these big games, they just don't use them correctly. The run game has no feel. They're kind of just, you know, it's stretch right, stretch left, and it, there's no real rhyme or reason for any of it. The offense refuses to use the middle of the field, even though it's worked every single time for them all season long. Um they're drawing up fourth down plays to, you know, defensive ends, turn tight ends rather than their, you know, future first round NFL draft pick wide receivers. It just none of it seems to make any sense. And I don't know what really happens when Ryan Day goes up against a good defense, but it's just like he plays so conservative and so scared. And like the second that the team 
runs into any sort of adversity on that side of the ball, they just completely collapse and go into a shell. And I'm just very worried that that happens in this game. I was kind of talking to Josh before the podcast about how Ohio State's offense seems like it's a very game state dependent offense. You know, if they come out and they're moving the ball, you know, they put up 14, 17 points early, then I think they could get into a groove and put up some points. But if they come out, they go three and out, you know, a couple times to start the game. I think that they're immediately going to go into that shell again. You're going to start seeing the wide receiver screens. You're going to start seeing the stretch toss that everyone loves so much. And all of a sudden, Ohio State's going to be in a hole that they can't get themselves out of. And it's, you know, you have to do, you do give credit to Georgia's defense because they're very good. But at the end of the day, if Ohio State's also beating themselves on top of how good Georgia's defense is, it's going to make it almost impossible to score points in this game. And so I think that, you know, you have to come out here and play offense like you have nothing to lose because, you know, at the end of the day, you don't. If you come out and you throw a couple picks because you were aggressive, so be it. But I'd rather that than, you know, not really trying to throw a forward pass with your Heisman-caliber quarterback and your future NFL wide receivers. It just doesn't make a lot of sense how Ohio State looks to attack in these big games, and I'm so hoping we don't see that again because that is really my biggest fear going into this game. Uh, Completely justified. Um, You know, I think you and I have differed some on Ryan Day's play calling, um, but I have gravitated more and more towards your side of the, you know, the fence when these big games continue to happen. But <clears throat> I, I think there are a couple different things at play. I, I, I also think that CJ Stroud needs to be sharper in, in some of these big games. And while I think he's really not even arguably, I think he is, the top quarterback in college football from an NFL draft perspective, he has also not been, you know, a hundred percent in some of these big games, effectiveness wise, right? He's missed some throws that he could otherwise make. Um, maybe he didn't take some, some shots that he otherwise would. So I really hope that Ryan day and CJ Stroud are spending a ton of time together. Um, and maybe in some sort of like dark room being screamed at by some sort of like motivational speaker or something like that, because they both, I think need to be at their best. They both need to be motivated and they both need to be unafraid. Um, And I don't know if that's the right word. I think that when Ryan day does sort of pull the string a little bit, it's more being conservative than afraid, but there's a debate, you know, we could do that all day long. The one thing that's going to help him, I think in this game, Ryan day specifically is that Ohio state's an underdog, nearly a touchdown underdog that just doesn't happen. And so what the hell else do you have? Gene, like, what do you have to lose? And we've probably asked that same question, you know, like maybe going up against Michigan this year, we thought everything was on the line. It wasn't. And, you know, he got very sort of wonky Ryan day with, did with his play calling in the second half, but this is truly a YOLO game for him. Like he's an Uber, Uber creative offensive mind. I don't think either one of us would argue that right. Um, When it comes to drawing up schemes and plays and things like that, you know, maybe we would argue run design, but he sort of made a killing really as an offensive coordinator and as a quarterback coach too, but he could get guys open in the middle of the field like no other. And then it's like he went away from doing it. Um, 
he could do some things with Justin Fields. And we were like, oh, this is great. We haven't seen this before from a guy who can both run it and throw the ball. So his offensive acumen is not in doubt, in my opinion. So use it. Get crazy. Let your proverbial hair down because because why not? You know, as a touchdown underdog, and he even said it in one of his press conferences, not a lot of people are giving us a chance. That's awesome. I would have it no other way. If for no other reason, then it should make Ryan Day, you know, come alive, man. Like, become that mad scientist. Get wild. Throw anything against the wall because you have nothing to lose at this point. So I, so I hope that being an underdog frees him up in a sense, whereas I guess sometimes if the expectation and the burden is so heavy on his shoulders, does he do the opposite? Um, so I'll be interested in that. And I think we'll find out pretty early, too, because if they come out conservative, then it's like, OK, hey, we don't want to dig ourselves a hole. We want to feel this game out. If they come out aggressive, then it's like, oh, OK, they want to take it to Georgia. They're going to Atlanta saying, look, you guys are the champs. We don't have a chance. But boom, they're on the table. Can you stop us? So I think we'll know pretty early. And I, and I hope that we get the aggressive, creative Ryan Day because this is his opportunity to be just that. Yeah, and I and I worry too, and I hope Ryan Day realizes that like his demeanor and his approach to a football game rubs off on the players. You know, when you come out and you're – calling conservative plays and, you know, just not taking any shots. It's telling your players that you're not really trusting them to win the football game. You know, you saw against Michigan kind of CJ practically begging to stay on the field on fourth down when Ryan Day went to punt and you hear him, you know, after the Michigan game, I think it was pretty telling when, you know, when CJ came out and said, you know, oh, one game doesn't define us and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. But like at the end of the day, it does. Like, if C.J. Stroud doesn't come out and win a national title, he's going to be remembered as the quarterback who couldn't beat Michigan. And so I don't think that was the correct approach. That's not the correct mentality to have in that game. And I'm wondering, I'm, I'm worried that, like, you know, Ryan Day's mentality of that that sort of thing is kind of rubbing off on the players because, you know, for as much of, of an asshole as Urban Meyer was and, like, seemingly is a bad dude off the field, his ruthless mentality on the field, you could almost always feel with his team. And I'm worried that that's not really getting across to Ohio State in these big games with Ryan Day. Maybe that's looking too much into it, but it just feels like the energy is different. No, Gene, like, that's a great point, but I also, like, you need to have some players doing that, too, and I'm not making an excuse for Ryan Day because you're right. He's a little more sort of, like, buttoned up or a little more mundane, I guess. Like, he wants to come across as like cerebral and I, look I, I think he is I'm not saying he's phony or anything like that he's just he's not Urban Day or Urban Meyer he's not you know I don't know give me some like fiery head coach who's just he's not Nick Saban personality wise you know Nick Saban will get a question he doesn't like in a press conference and he just you know gets all pissed off and turns it back around it's sort of funny but that's Ryan Day then you've got the players I think CJ Stroud is a leader and he's grown in that, in that respect, but like he's not the most vocal fiery guy we've ever seen. Right. Um, he's kind of too, like I, I love CJ as a quarterback on the field, but he's, he's kind of an excuses guy. Like it does seem like that's sort of a, a thing. Like, I don't know if he's like a, 
you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. It just seems like here and there, like you hear what he says in press conferences, and it's not really always my, my favorite thing to hear. And it's, you know, I'm sure he's still, you know, he's a young kid. He's still learning and growing, and he's going to go on to probably have a, a good professional career. But a lot of the time, it just seems like there's a little bit of a, a disconnect of like, you know, like I said, just kind of the stakes of the day, like the Michigan game coming out and after that and saying this one game doesn't define us. It's like, well, that's not really in the biggest rivalry in college sports, and you know, a game that you've now lost two years in a row. That's really not the mentality you could afford to have here. Yeah, um, and maybe it's because he's in a different position, but like that would have defined JT Barrett. You know what I mean? And maybe that's just because JT Barrett didn't have you know millions and millions of dollars to play for. Um, and you know what? Like it that's... it did it did define JT Barrett the other way because he'll always be remembered as the quarterback that always beat Michigan. Right. Yeah. I mean, and so like, and he would say again, like this isn't a knock on anybody's like demeanor or style. It's just like people act in different ways right and so yeah jt barrett if you go like find a a, a clip online like you can find a, a speech that he's giving in a locker room that will make your arm hair stand up that was him i'll always remember too like when they came back against penn state in 2017 and he's just you know after that last touchdown he's just doing the, like this is my house thing on the thing like that was cool like i was like that was the type of guy he is he was like a fiery dude i'm not even a jt barrett fan like i didn't even really like jt barrett but in that regard he you was like exactly <laughs> yeah i know we differ in that regard but yeah like in that in that sense he is a very different style of leader than cj stroud is and i don't know if it's it's better or worse it's just different but i have noticed a, a definite difference from you know guys like jt barrett and justin fields to a guy like cj Stroud. Yeah, and like my point was you, you go further down the line, like look at running back Ezekiel Elliott. Maybe not the most fiery guy when he was at Ohio State, sort of goofy sometimes, but he spoke up, you know, he made these like bold claims and proclamations. Like he spoke with confidence and he carried himself that way. I think Mayan Williams does a little bit of that. Travion Henderson seems like a very quiet dude. Again, not a bad thing. Um wide receiver, you know, Chris Olave was, I, I would say, more vocal than Marvin Harrison Jr., even if I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is a off-the-pages sort of freak, right? So, <clears throat> yes, it's part, it's some Ryan Day, but there have to be some players, too, on this team that want to step up and say, look, everyone thinks that we are going to get our asses kicked. Our backs are against the wall. We are a seven-point dog. Like, let's use that, and I... I think that the those guys are in the locker room. Um, I, I'm not sure in exactly who they are. Uh, I, I read online that like JT Tumalau has been very vocal since the Michigan game. I think that you know, yeah, and Josh, I think this is a I think this is a bigger issue we're kind of stumbling onto here is that yeah. like there aren't a ton of those, you know, outspoken vocal leaders. I mean, you even look at the, you know, the captains for Ohio State this season and, you know, CJ Stroud, obviously, you know, a guy like Cam Babb because of his story, those make sense. But then, you know, you look at, you know, not to disparage anybody, but like Tyler Friday and Court Williams, like two guys that don't even play, like, I don't know how much, you know, captaincy they could really have when they don't have an impact on the game. Like, it just seems odd. And like you said, they just, there aren't a ton of guys in that locker room to, I think, like, you know, tell guys, you know, that you have to have guys in the locker room that are willing to tell you what you don't want to hear. Like, you need someone yep. to go up to a certain position and be like, you guys are playing like crap today. Like, figure it out. Like, you need, 
guys to do that. And it's all love. It's all out of respect. But you just need sort of that tough love type of energy in the locker room. And it doesn't really seem like they have a ton of that. So I think that's maybe, you know, a bigger issue than what we're hitting on here. But I do think that is, you know, on top of maybe some of the coaching issues, I think that is another big issue that this team is having and why they have, you know, struggled with adversity so much these last few years as well. And you you summed it up better than I did. I was probably, you know, starting to just go position by position. But you're right. I think it's some coaching. I think it is a player mentality. And my hope that is, you know, in the last month or so, certain guys have stepped up um, and, and taken on those leadership roles and have been more vocal and are inspiring their underdog teammates right now to go out there and do something special. Yes, we, we do hope so. So let's sort of get to our, you know, our predictions here before we get out of here now that we've, we've gone over the hour mark. Um, I'm going to go first just because I want to end on more of a positive note, and I have a feeling your uh, score prediction will be more positive than mine. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever predicted on this podcast an Ohio State loss um, previously, and I think, I, you know, I think this is my second full season doing this. I don't think I've predicted a loss. Maybe I did against Alabama, um, but... Um, I will be doing that today because of all the, some of the things I've said. I just, you know, I'm hoping that I'm wrong and I'm hoping Ryan Day comes out and proves me wrong. But until I see him actually coach a good game against a good team, I just don't think he's capable of doing it. Um, so I'm predicting a 38-17 Georgia win. Um, I don't really think that everything is going to change from what I saw against Michigan. You know, Ohio State had seemingly every advantage they could possibly want in that game. You're at home. Michigan's best player is out. And, you know, you have a almost, you know, on paper, a worse performance than you had the year prior. And so I just don't think that they're learning anything from these big games. I think a lot of the problems, um, you know, are rooted in some of these, um, some of the coaching staff spots, maybe not Ryan Day himself, but some other positions. Obviously, we know my, my long-term gripes with strength and conditioning. I think a lot of that still just all comes into play. I don't think that's stuff you could change overnight. I think that's stuff that has to be maybe looked at in the offseason if you're going to make wide-scale changes, but I just, I think that Ohio State, once again, just fails to do anything offensively, even though we know they should be capable of it. I think that they, you know, they play too conservative for their own good, kind of play themselves out. I think it's going to be, you know, maybe a close game at half, maybe like a 17-10 type of game at half, and then just Ohio State maybe shoots themselves in the foot too much. Maybe they start to get aggressive too late, and maybe there's a late turnover there or whatnot. But I just think Georgia wins this game pretty easily. I think there's a reason that they're the defending national champs. I think they're just a a far better coach football team. I think they are, you know, talent-wise, I think these teams are pretty similar. Georgia has, you know, the statistical advantage on paper, um, but I just think that coaching is a difference here, and I, I, I'm still very worried about Ohio State's cornerback play, which has been so bad this year. Um, I like that Mayan Williams will probably get the line share of the carries, and that he'll probably be healthy, so maybe that changes things a little bit, but yeah, I just it's more of a, a coaching and and you know just game plan issue for me here than anything to do with you know the on field players. So I get where you're coming from. Um, I think there are a couple different possibilities and only a couple different possibilities. Georgia wins big, which would be more in line with your prediction, <clears throat> or or Ohio State wins a close one. That's what I'm going to go with. Um, that's what I was hoping I for, Josh. I wanted to end on a high note. I can't give you every reason why. I, I'm just I'm holding out hope. Uh, I'm trying to be the optimistic one um, in this instance. So I don't know. I just I think that Ohio State, or I hope that Ohio State finally plays with nothing to lose, because I feel like in the past, whether it's a big game that they lost or a big game that they kind of didn't salt away or anything like that, uh, they've always felt the pressure and you could see it. You could sense it. Like it was just, it was palpable, right? 
go out there and just play free, man. Like I, I, this is the, you don't get a lot of opportunities like this where you are a team competing for a title, but you're an underdog and no one expects you to win. So that's sort of my hope for this one. And that's my prediction. I think that Ohio state plays a little bit looser. Um, I, I don't think that they're going to stop Georgia on defense. I think both teams are going to score, but Maybe Jim Knowles and that sort of big play or, you know, trying to be a big play defense, bend but don't break. They'll give up some yards. They'll give up some red zone possessions. But maybe it's a turnover. Maybe it's a couple field goals. Give me Ohio State 35 to 34 in a squeaker. Um, Man, that 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 sounds very stressful. It's all we got, baby. Yeah, I I am not hoping that my prediction is right. You know, I'm very much hoping that I'm wrong. I hope we come back and and Josh is much closer than I am. I hope that Ohio State wins. If they lose this game, you know, I'm going to be just as mad as you all will be, you know, following. Let me ask you something real quick. Yeah. If Ohio State loses this game, 35, 34, no one does, you know, moral victories. But if something like that were to happen, where it's like, yeah, Ohio State's going to get blown off the field, they're going to Atlanta, they're playing the defending champs, blah, 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 blah. If, if Ohio State loses by three, something like that, it's a close game all game. Even though we don't like moral victories, would that be a bit of a moral victory, given what we've seen like in the last month and sort of the, the things that people are saying about Ohio State? I think if Ohio State comes out and, you know, runs the offense that we know they're capable of, you know, doesn't play conservative, we don't see the wide receiver screens and the pitches. We see, you know, Ohio State gets back to the mesh and the slant routes. You know, they are attacking downfield. They're using their best players. You know, the offense makes sense. They're scoring in the red zone. If all of that is happening and, you know, they're they're playing the way we expect Ohio State to play and they still just, you know, they lose, like you said, by a couple of points to a very good Georgia team, then I think that's that's palpable. You can accept that. You can see, okay, at least they learned from the Michigan game finally. They're getting away from all the stuff that has plagued them the last two years. They're moving in the right direction. Well, Ryan Day has finally learned. You know, maybe we see, like you said, maybe we see some sunny styles on defense. Maybe they're actually playing some young guys and giving guys a chance. All of that, if they're doing all the right things and they still lose, then you got to just tip your cap. And I think that that is at least a more palpable way to go out. But if they lose, you know, kind of the way I said, like even if they, they do what I'm saying and they keep it close, I still wouldn't be, you know, very happy with that. I, I want to see something. I want to see that they've learned. I don't want to see them doing the same thing over and over again. So even if, you know, if they wide receiver screen uh, Georgia to the tune of 35, 34, I'm still not going to be very happy about it. But um, I, I think that if they're doing the right things and it just doesn't work out, then that's a different story. You want to see aggressive. You want to see aggression over anything. And, I don't even, I wouldn't even say aggression. You. I would just say like, stuff that makes sense. Like, I want you to use your players to the best of their ability. Like, what happened to, like, when's the last time we saw Ohio State run mesh and slants routes? They just don't do it anymore. And it's like, did you see what happened when you did it? You scored like 40 on everyone. It was great. And then they just went away from it for no good reason. Progress, in your opinion, could be just learning from past mistakes and competing with Georgia. That's progress to you. Yeah, absolutely. Just proving to me that you've learned from your mistakes. And that's fair. And I, like I said, I hope that they do. I think that they will. And that's why my prediction is an Ohio State victory. Yes, I am very Don't much hoping. Yes, I'm very much hoping that we come back on, you know, whatever it is, Sunday, Monday. And uh, and I am very much wrong. So that that would be do we the have to record scenario. on New Year's Day. We should probably this uh, should be off air. But let's just lay it out for the listeners. Like, is this going to be a New Year's Day thing? Because I got to be honest. 
I might be a little banged up. Yeah, just... I am. Uh, there's probably a zero percent chance we record on New Year's Day. I'm actually still going to be. <laughs> I'm taking a little like day trip for New Year's Day with my girlfriend, so I'll pro- I'll still be nice. at our at our Airbnb. So there's almost a zero percent chance we record that day, but we will be at you guys sometime after Ohio State's game. Um, maybe longer after the game if they've lost than than if they've won. Um, but. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect it the very next day. It could be a day or two afterwards, but I'm sure we will have, you know, we're obviously going to have our usual uh, instant recap podcast that we always have from Chris and whoever else hops on for that game. Um, and we'll have obviously a ton of written content, you know, before, during, and after the game for you guys as well. So um, even if Josh and I aren't in your ears immediately after the game, we will be there at some point um, if we have survived. So I, I will promise you that. Uh, but yeah, Josh, other than that, I think we're... Uh, I think we're pretty good. Hour 15 here. I think we're very, you know, I, I don't want to get, I know I'm going to get some some shit for, you know, my prediction and stuff, but I am still very excited. I am hoping that Ohio State comes out here and wins this game. I'm not hoping that I, you know, as, as much as my anti-Ryan Day agenda would love, you know, for that, to, for my prediction to happen, I, at my heart, I'm still an Ohio State fan. I want them to go out and win a national title. And so, um, look, your you know, if, prediction is based on recent history, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I'd be lying if I sat here and said, hey, you know what? I'm going to put money down on my prediction, final exact score and everything. I'm not. Um, it's just, you know, somebody's got to be the good guy and somebody's got to be the bad guy on this podcast. And Gene, you you chose the villain role. I love you for it. But like I said, it's it's based on recent history and that's why I think it's fair. Yeah, listen, I'm a hater at heart, but I still love my Buckeyes. If they went on, if they win both of their playoff games two to nothing, I will take it. Um, any way you could get to a national title works for me. Gene will get an Ohio State tattoo. You guys just heard it here first I'm, if I'm they in. win this natty. I will get all of Carmen, Ohio tatted down my back. I think that'll be it for us this week before we agree to anything else outlandish on this podcast. But yeah, like I said, be sure to check out. We're going to have a ton of written content back to our usual scheduled programming, maybe a little bit light this past week with the holidays, but we are back to our regularly scheduled programming this week and all of our usual, you know, lead up to the game type stuff. Josh will be back with his players to watch. We will have all sorts of, you know, DraftKings stuff, game previews, all that good stuff, as well as, you know, our continued coverage of both the men's and women's basketball team. Um, so be sure to check all of that out over at landgrantholyland.com. Um, be sure to like, rate, view, subscribe, all that good stuff, all the podcasts ask you to do. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross. And as always, even though, even despite my score prediction, go Bucks.